good morning. And so I say good morning again. I welcome all of you who are here, but I, I, I extend a welcome to the people in cyberspace, wherever that might be. Say welcome to New Hope Chapel Sunday morning praise and worship service. This morning we are going to begin a three-message series entitled The Philippian Church, a Model for New Hope Chapel. And the first sermon, the first message on this series is entitled this morning, A Church of Joy. You know, joy was Yahweh's thing. Joy, joy, joy. Well, my text is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Also chapter 4, verse 14. As well as the book of Acts, chapter 16, and various selected verses in that chapter. Of course, these are all printed for you in the handout in the New American Standard Version, together with the sermon outline for your easy reference. It didn't take you long to realize that uh, Pastor Dan made a boo-boo, right? You can see in your outline that I have destroyed Carolyn's De Pasquale's artwork. She does well. And I concluded that the verse that I had in that section did not apply which is kind of interesting because she called me in question. She says, you, you want to include this? I go, yes. I didn't. So I took a, a Sharpie and I crossed out verse 9. I didn't realize until I was about halfway through that there were, it was bleeding to the other side. So that means some of the words in the verse immediately behind it is left to your imagination, but I'll be reading them anyway. So there we are. Well, walk with me as I do always through Psalm 1914. And so this morning, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, this series of three messages in the book of Philippians with this sermon, The Church of Joy, you know, the words joy, gladness, rejoicing are found 19 times in the book of Philippians. And when you open this little book, it's like opening a window on a hot day and getting a gust of fresh air coming in. This little book pulsates and radiates with joy. But it's not an ordinary joy. It is a super joy. It is the joy of Jesus. You know, 20 times Paul uses the name Jesus there is joy in Jesus. There is the joy of Jesus. There is joy with Jesus. So this book is clearly about the joy of Jesus. Now, real joy, true joy, everlasting joy cannot be found apart from Jesus. And any joy that you might find, you'll determine before too long that it does not last. For the joy of Jesus, super joy, it's personal, it's powerful, and it's permanent. Look at John 15, verse 11. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. And there you see it. My joy, his personal joy, may remain in you. That is a permanent joy, that your joy may be full. That's a powerful joy. You know, if the Christian life is to be anything at all, 
It is to be a life of joy, radiant, resplendent, refreshing. It's a joy unspeakable to be a Christian. There is the joy of knowing God as your Father. There is the joy of having Jesus as your Savior. There is the joy of having the Holy Spirit as your friend. There is a joy of having the Bible as your guide. And there's a joy of knowing that your home is heaven. When you think of it, our souls should just get thrilled with the joy of knowing the Lord. Now, it's not just a coincidence that this journal of joy was written to a people at Philippi. I can say with confidence that if you were to ask Paul which of the many churches that he founded would he like to pastor, he would undoubtedly say the church at Philippi. It was the nearest and the dearest to his heart. In fact, verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. Not every church that he founded brought joy to Paul's heart. The church at Corinth, for example, was a divided church, a fractured fellowship of fighting factions. They were feuding and, and they were fussing and they were suing one another. And so selfish and carnal were they that they were even dying because of the abuse of the Lord's Supper. Or the church at Galatia, they were, they were a deceived church. They had forsaken God's grace for man's laws as a way of salvation. But the church at Philippi was a devoted church full of joy, happy in Jesus, winning souls, and loving one another. Corinth had discouraged Paul. Galatia had depressed Paul. But the Philippians had delighted Paul. You know, Corinth hurt him. Galatia hindered him. But the Philippians lifted him. You can see what Paul thought in verse 3. Again, he said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul was thinking of this church's past, seeing this present and imagining its future. And so the first thing in your outline, consider the remarkable formation of this church. The first thing that he's thankful for is who this church has, was, and is. He said in, in Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. See, Paul was saying, I always think of how God formed you, of how this church even came into being. It is a cause of gratitude to me. You know, one of the most remarkable stories in the New Testament is how this church at Philippi even came into existence. And for that, we have to turn to Acts 16. And there are several things to notice about how this church was formed. So first in Acts, consider the opposition of the Holy Spirit. We're beginning with verses 6 and 7. And that states, For they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian regions after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Misha, they were trying to go to Bethnia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This is a strange thing indeed. Paul kept trying to go to Asia to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit kept saying, no. The Holy Spirit kept slamming the door in Paul's face. You know, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to learn to listen to the no of the Holy Spirit as well as the go of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by God, but the steps or the stops of a good man are also ordered by the Lord. And when God stops your steps, you had better not step over his stops. The Holy Spirit not only has the ministry of leading us, he also has the ministry of stopping us. You know, all systems are not always going to be going in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they are sit still. Too many times believers of the gospel get in trouble because they do not listen to the no of the Holy Spirit. The country preacher was quite correct when he stated that the problem in modern-day Christianity and with so many preachers, they have went where they haven't gotten sent. You know, I remember when my dad first began to teach me how to drive a car. The first thing on the car my dad pointed out was not the accelerator, but the brake. And in these schools that train dogs, the first thing they teach a dog to do is to sit. Paul was a man who walked close enough to the Lord that he could very readily hear the no. Second in your outline, consider the opportunity of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 states, And a vision, a vision, appeared to Paul. In the night, a man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. See, God only shuts one door to open another door and a better door. God wants to teach us that the right place at the right time is his place and his time because God knows where his soldiers can best engage in battle. You know, you see too many of us are willing to do God's work when and where we say. But God knows what he's doing. God wanted Paul at Philippi. Now, there are several reasons why it was important for Paul to go to Philippi. First of all, it was a sovereign city. Notice verse 12. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were spending some days in the city. You know, it's called a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. Now that is very important. See, unlike other cities, this city was a Roman colony. It was a city that had all the rights, the privileges, and the protection of the capital city of Rome. Now Paul, being a Roman citizen, would have all the rights and privileges of a Roman citizen. Therefore, Paul could preach the gospel in an unhindered fashion. And it was also a sensitive city. That is, it turned out to be hungry for the gospel. As we'll see in a moment, everywhere that Paul turned, people were saved. But the most important reason for Paul to go to Philippi was that it was a strategic city. Paul had a choice. He could go east into Asia with the gospel, or he could go to Europe with the gospel. Now, Philippi was the doorway to all of that continent. Paul, had Paul turned east, it would have been Asia, China, and India that would have been the leading missionary centers of the world. But instead, God turned Paul west, and the gospel went to Europe, and then to England, and then to 
from England to America, and we are now, for the most part, the missionary center of the world. You know, history to the present has revealed that the East was not going to be so receptive of Christianity. Buddhism, Hinduism, and later Islam flourished. I believe with all my heart that we are a nation today because Paul was turned by the Holy Spirit to go to Philippi. And I say to you all, never fear when the Holy Spirit stops you. Never fear when the Holy Spirit leads you. God's ways are not only better, they are best. And they're always best, and they're always best for all of us. And third, consider in your outline the operation of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. That states, and on, that, on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to Riverside, where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Here we begin the remarkable story of three different people as different as different could be. They come to knowing the Lord. And so first there was a traveling sales lady by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of purple fabric. You know, it's beautiful to see how the process, how she came to the Lord. There on the riverside, as Paul began to preach to the group of women, we read that her heart was opened by the Lord, opened to the gospel. And when the Lord opened her heart, she then opened her home, and that then became the house, the headquarters for Paul and the gospel at Philippi. And then verse 16 tells us, and it happened that we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had the spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune-telling. You know, we come first to one of the few miracles that Paul actually performed. Beginning in verse 16, we are told that a slave girl possessed of demons, having a spirit of divination, a fortune-teller, began to follow Paul and saying, these men are slaves of the Most High God who are telling you how to be saved. Now you would think that Paul would be pleased with what was happening, but he immediately realizes that this woman is possessed and is being controlled by a demon. She's not sincere. She's not saved. So what does he do? He casts out the evil spirit. You see, God does not need the devil's patronage to do his work. If the devil can't lick you, he will join you. The problem we've got today is not so much that Satan is fighting churches as we do Satan is joining churches. You know, all churches have their share of apostates. And then we come to the story of Paul being thrown in jail. And because of casting this spirit out of this girl, there were some businessmen who owned this girl and were using this girl for profit. And now that their business has been destroyed, they had Paul and Silas incarcerated. Then we read verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We here we're told that Paul and Silas are given a concert and the and, and all the prisoners are, are listening. And then verse 26 tells us, 
that God sends an earthquake and shakes that prison until all the doors are open and all the chains fell dislodged from their hands and feet. You talk about Elvis Presley in Jailhouse Rock. Of course, you're too young to remember all of that, I guess. Well, God used an earthquake to save a Philippian jailer and his entire family. Now think about it. This great Philippian jail began and was made up of a traveling salesman, a demon-possessed girl, and a jailer. And Paul was thankful for the formation. So second in your outline, consider the refreshing fellowship of the church. In our text, Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5 reads, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, this word participation that we see in verse 5 is a Greek word from where we get the English word fellowship. In the Greek, it is koinonia. It means to share in common, to have something in common. And what did this church have in common? Well, they had in common the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of the common Lord, they had a common life in the Holy Spirit. And because of that, they had a common love for Jesus and for one another. What a fellowship this church truly enjoyed. They had, first in your outline, a fellowship of soul winning. You know, we're told in verse 5, it tells about the participation in the gospel. Well, they had a common goal and a common desire with Paul, and their desire was to get the gospel out, to send the light, to, to bring in the sheaves, to sow the seed, to, to find the lost. That is why they were so close to Paul. They had a soul-winning heart. You know, some of you are new to this church, or relatively recent, and if you want to make friends at New Hope Chapel, if you really want to get close to someone, I would suggest this. If you want to get involved, find someone and go soul winning with them. Nothing will knit your heart or bring you closer to a fellow Christian than to go out together and spread the gospel to Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. And this is why Philippi was such a joyful church, a happy church, thrilling, gleeful church. Soul winning churches are the happiest churches on earth. Soul-winning Christians are the happiest Christians on earth. Soul-winning pastors are the happiest pastors on earth. You don't see soul-winning churches fighting. They don't have the desire nor the time to fight. Soul-winners would rather fight Satan than fight saints. They would rather further their faith than fracture the fellowship. Over the years, I've been involved in some church scrapes. And one thing I've noticed in churches that do fight the fighters are not soul winners, nor true worshipers. Second, they had fellowship of the Spirit. One of the most beautiful things about being in the family of God is not only do we share a human spirit, we share the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, by one spirit have you all been baptized into one body. Just look at us. Look around at the strange people that are sitting next to you and around you. Different levels of education, different levels of social 
scales. We all have different interests, different abilities, and yet our hearts are strangely knit together by an invisible, indivisible bond. And what is the bond that knits our hearts together that makes us feel close to one another? It is the bond of the Holy Spirit. In an orchestra, all of the instruments are tuned to a tuning fork. Where those instruments are tuned to the same note, they will be in harmony. So when your heart is tuned to the Holy Spirit and my heart is tuned to the Holy Spirit, there will be a harmony that only the Holy Spirit can produce. We're not rusted together by ritualism, frozen together by formalism, linked together by liberalism, or even chained together by conservatism. We are melted together by the Holy Spirit. And it's so beautiful when my spirit bears witness to your spirit through the Holy Spirit that we are children of God. Third, they had a fellowship of suffering. Consider our text, Philippians 4.14. It says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. Again, the word shared, share with, is the same word as fellowship. It's the word koinonia. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was hurting. He was lonely. But he was encouraged to know that the Philippians were hurting with him. Well, listen, there are people all around in our fellowship who are hurting. And all they really need is just to have someone who will hurt with them. You know, we're not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we are to weep with those who weep. And this is what the church at Philippi was doing. Though they were thousands of miles from Paul, they were praying for him. They were suffering with him. They were rooted in Jesus. Paul was rooted in Jesus. And their roots were intertwined together so much that when Paul hurt, they hurt. When Paul was in prison, they were in prison because they had this fellowship of suffering. And fourth, they had a fellowship of the Savior. You know, Paul uses phrases, in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, 18 times in this epistle. Well, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the heart of the church. Jesus is the hope of the church. And real fellowship is founded in Jesus Christ. And third, in your outline, consider the radiant future of the church. Philippians 1.6 states, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul was effectively saying, don't worry, you cannot fail in Jesus. Did you know that we have a bright future here at New Hope? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds our future. And no wonder we ought to be full of joy. No wonder we always should be rejoicing to the Lord. What a radiant future we have. For example, our future is a good work. The best thing that can happen to a person is to be saved. The best thing that can happen to a home is for that home to be saved. The best thing that can happen to a nation is for that nation to be saved. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. Remember, salvation is a good work. It is not a work to be feared. It is a work to be desired. Second, our future is God's work. Salvation is not your good works for God. 
It is God's good work in you. You didn't start out with God. God started out with you. Jesus himself said in John 15, 1, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. But just remember, salvation is God's work from beginning to end. Salvation is God's work for you. Sanctification is God's work in you. Service is God's work through you. And you are saved by the grace of God. You are saved by the goodness of God. You are saved for the glory of God. And third, our future is a guaranteed work. Not only has God commenced the work of our salvation and is continuing the work of our salvation, he will conclude the work of our salvation. What God starts, God finishes. What God commences, he completes. If salvation was our work, we might not make it. We often start things that we can't finish, but God never starts anything that he won't finish. At this time, I'm going to ask the praise team if they'll come and lead us in another closing hymn. You know, I thank God for this church. I thank God that it was formed in the blood of Jesus. I thank God that its fellowship is in the risen Christ. I thank God that its future is secured by the coming Jesus. I just would just delight in knowing that we all thank God for this church. Please stand if you are able.
Amen, amen, amen. Well, service is over. And in light of this message, I think we should go out and reflect on these thoughts. And I think if we pray and act, we will become the church at Philippi. So next week, we continue with this series. The title of that sermon will be The Church of Love. Amen? Amen. We'll see you all next week.